0: Because that's where well, the, the Ranger is going to be. out. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: I love Walker, Texas Ranger. I'll <laughs> be uh, my grandma will watch that that's all day.
0: <laughs> right. Shout out to my grandmother, man.
2: This is the absurd journey
1: of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast.
2: What's up, Bless Up community? So before we jump into this episode, um, I got to fill you in on something. So this is going to be part one of a short series we're going to run here on the Bless Up podcast. So we finished recording this episode and all three of us just felt like there was so much more to say on this topic. So, just telling you ahead of time, this episode's going to end on a cliffhanger, but stay tuned because in two weeks, we're going to drop part two of this series. All right, let's dive in. All right, welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm here with Corey and James, and today, um, they can't stop laughing (laughs) because... (laughs) All right. All right. I'm just going to ask the question. You guys just have your fun. So we're starting off with the question today of what is something that you believed as a child that as an adult, you now realize was probably a little off. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I absolutely 110% (laughs) as a child was convinced that Chuck Norris really was a Texas Ranger because of the show Walker, Texas Ranger. I was fully convinced that that was real life, and that he was Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh,
1: Walker, Texas Ranger is a superhero. I think I think, <laughs> I think Marvel Comics needs to like do a mini series where they find oh Walker gosh. and just I mean he he could have beat Thanos. He would have roundhouse kicked Straight him. up. He'd have roundhouse kicked bro. Thanos.
0: Straight up. I'll, t- I'll tell you right now like, Walker, Texas Ranger was unbeatable. <laughs> Just flat out. Unbeatable.
1: I've but, never seen this show in my life. Oh my life. gosh. Listen, you're, this, you're missing out. This is what happened on the show. Somebody <laughs> would call the police station. Yep. They would send Trevette first. Right. Trevette would get his butt kicked. Trevette was a flunky. He would get yeah. his butt kicked. Yeah.
0: He was a former He was a former Dallas Cowboy. I, was he a running back? Or yeah, he was something. He played Wait, real football life or for or the, the Dallas Cowboys. On, on, the, the on the show. On the, but the show. But remember, okay. I thought the show was real life. <laughs> so as a Cowboys fan, I love Trevette. I was like, yeah, Trevette, my guy. I got to get my Trevette jersey. Uh, I never got one. I don't understand why.
1: Yeah, Trevette. And then, in the middle <laughs> oh of Trevette getting beat up by, like, Six dudes, like Chuck Norris, Walker. His name's Walker. Walker, Walker Texas. Yes. Like his name's Walker. He drives up in his truck. Yeah, his, his classic F one. Yeah, drives up in his truck, hops out, and all of his like ranger gear, which is basically just like he looks like he's going to square dance.
0: And here's <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody's got guns, but him. But him. And he doesn't need a gun. He's, he's just, got he's got the most lethal roundhouse kick in the history of everdom and he just
1: starts he just starts beating people up <laughs> around house kicking and to me that was real life
2: <laughs> there's so many jokes that i am retroactively understanding now because i had no idea but listen I've never here's, seen the, thing, this here's the
0: thing here's the thing and i don't know if they'll ever listen to this podcast right but i think i might by me saying i used to believe that that was true I no longer believe it to be true. I think I just informed my cousins that Walker Texas <laughs> Ranger is not real. To
2: be honest. Does it, like, did you guys just all sit, sit around and watch this with your
0: grandma? It was just always on and it was always being played and we like it was just he was our he was the house hero. Like <laughs> and I'm
1: t- I'm telling you man like this it it was super real to me.
0: Like oh my I, gosh. I don't
1: yeah yeah I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm just yeah. Walker Texas Ranger mm-hmm. is one. I've got a few. I've got a few. First off, is the rapture. Because I grew up like, I grew up just in the real life, like apostolic Pentecostal, like small black church. So basically, the altar call was the rapture's coming. If you want to get taken away in the rapture, you got to come up to the front and get saved. So. <laughs> so I just knew that I wasn't going. <laughs> and everything they talked about, I knew my mom was going. I knew my brother was going. I knew my grandma was going. I just knew I wasn't going. <laughs> I would steal my mom's Gatorade. I would do other stuff. I was just a little Ratchet Snyder kid. So you I would knew. steal
2: her Gatorade. Oh, yeah. Therefore, you're not going.
1: I, I knew I was a sinner, yo. So I knew I wasn't going. So... Multiple times. One time we were on a highway, and my mom was, like, going really fast. And I just looked at her, and I was like, hey, can you please slow down? She's like, why? And I'm like, because if you get raptured in the car, like you're not in the car, it's going to crash into the person in front of us. And I'm going to die and not go to heaven. And she was just like, oh. Like, her response wasn't, oh, baby, that's not. Her response was, well, you got to repent, baby. You got (laughs) to. First place, you gotta go to the altar. Place, she
0: didn't even correct you. Nah, she's like, her well, response
1: was just you get that well, That's you gotta, your conviction. Hell, you gotta go. And then we were in a Kmart one time, and like she hit a corner fast, and I couldn't find her. And I just like am crying as a little kid. And I go up to the front, and I say, Hey, like, can you like talk on the loudspeaker? I think my mom got raptured. And I'm just like hysterically crying. And I'm like, I think she got raptured. I just wanna check if she's here. <laughs> On the loudspeaker, they go, uh, Lynette Talbert. We have your son up here. If you haven't been raptured, can you come <laughs> get him from the front? And she just like was so embarrassed, and she just like grabbed me. I was like, never do that again. But I was like, well, I I thought you, I thought you got raptured.
0: Oh, bro! Like it's because when we were kids that like that theology got fanned into flame by the left behind series bro, like I, I, I remember those. watching the vhs yeah, of left behind like shout out to kirk cameron for kirk like ruining kids lives bro like
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: lived in fear
1: because of you at least the cameron's gave us <laughs> dj and full house they made up for it with that Good goodness there was that literally i thought like From watching Space Jam, I thought that what happened with the Monstars was real. And, like, whenever it, like, rained or got cloudy, like, as a kid, I thought that, like, the Monstars were going to come, like, steal my basketball talent. So I would go in the house. And I literally told my grandma multiple times, I'm like, you know, I don't want the Monstars to, like, take my game. I've been working on it. So I thought the Monstars were going to take my game. And... Is that what happened to you? (laughs) let's not get started
0: here that's a separate podcast for a separate day that's a
1: separate podcast for a separate day so then the third one i still kind of believe it (laughs) i'm (laughs) not gonna lie someone somewhere along the line like Jolie or or said if you're listening i i know you probably believe the same thing I just believe that dogs see in circles and squares. (laughs) It's like they can't see any other like shapes, only like spheres and squares. Someone told me that. And I just have to believe it. I, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it goes into my theology of dogs that, yeah, they just, yeah, they don't have the ability to reason. They don't have thumbs.
2: <laughs> i don't think that's a theology i think the no thumb thing is just a fact i yeah, think that's just, just yeah. like a yeah, fact they,
1: they don't, think, don't have thumbs yeah are right about that i just think therefore <laughs> i think intelligent animals have thumbs and they don't have thumbs so yeah
0: <laughs> i am speechless <laughs> Oh, that's bad for a podcast. They can't see us, so.
2: Okay, I have nothing to add, honestly. (laughs) Just, if my grandpa said it to me in my life, just assume I still believe it to this day. Amen. That's, that's just, that's it. So let me ask this. Um, I, uh, I know and I recognize that I did not grow up in a normal Christian home at all, um. Just, we're not even going to get into that today, but I did not. And I didn't grow up in a ministry home, none of that. So in my, house, uh, in my house, curiosity was never really looked down on. Asking questions was never, it was never something that I was told not to do. So when I became a Christian, I just automatically asked a whole heck of a lot of questions. Um, a ton of them. And I have the extreme fortune of growing up as my mother's daughter. And my mother has had a Bible in her hand and studied scripture for as long as I can remember. And when I asked questions, she never said, don't ask that. And so um, what was your experience with the church Um, As people who ended up as theology majors and everything else, what has been your experience with asking questions in the church?
1: I grew up in extreme, like, Pentecostalism, which I—now, the older I get and the more I'm an adult, I deeply appreciate, like, the tradition I grew up in. I love it. It has its deep beauties, like like everything. It has its beauties and its flaws, but— it has these deep beauties that took a deep part and form in forming me and i'm nothing but grateful for it but questioning in that environment was looked down upon hmm. so it was it was looked down upon it was if you're questioning if you question anything then like that means you don't have faith and if you question anything that also means that you might you might be sinning so you hmm. need to repent like the altar like prayer at the altar was like the one-stop shop for everything. Mm -hmm. It was the one-size-fits-all answer for everything. You come and pray at the altar. And then when I had like a a faith awakening, when I was in late high school, I started going to like a fundamentalist like Pentecostal church, small fundamentalist Pentecostal church. Uh, I'll say that, it had, like, some foundations of evangelicalism, but it was not. It was fundamentalist. It was like a Pentecostal fundamentalist church. And there, they took it, like, a level further. So, like, if you had any doubts, if you had anything, then you, like, you weren't allowed to. Like, you just, you just flat out weren't allowed to. I literally remember we had, like, almost reached the pinnacle of like what it meant to be a part of that church, which was like we were almost able to preach on the pulpit on Sunday. So they moved us like they let us preach on Sunday night in this like training thing, but then they like made us Sunday school teachers, and we were doing a series on like the gifts of the spirit, and it was basically church doctrine that everyone needed to speak in tongues. I had started at Milan. So I had like learned a little bit about exegesis. Like even just enough to be dangerous, like just enough (laughs) to be dangerous. It was like even a smaller amount than I know now, but it's like, I learned a little bit. So I was like, okay. I was like, let me try to go through this process. And I went through the process and like, we went and talked to the pastor and we're like, Hey, we just wanted to like run this past you. Like before we teach this, but yeah, this actually doesn't say that everyone has to speak in tongues. It actually says the opposite. Mm -hmm. And he just like started stringing together this like really weird biblical theology that basically said that like all scripture was moving towards like the spiritual gifts. And even then I was like, nah, I think all scripture is moving towards Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, he didn't speak in tongues, so. (laughs) so there's that so it was just this moment where when we questioned it was met with like direct opposition and what was funny was i left that environment thinking that like in evangelicalism there would be like a different response but the reality is it's just different doctrine the philosophy is the exact same because like then I went to a church that I would like label and brand as neo-Calvinist, and in that neo-Calvinist environment, it was very much so like, well, if you don't believe these five points, like there were literally young adults who would joke around about Calvin Geneva, and they're like, oh, yeah. six point of Calvinism is burn heretics. <laughs> it's like if you don't like, they literally branded me like James the Armenian because it was like, oh, if you don't believe in if you don't believe in these five points. Then you need to, like, jump out the window. So I would say, like, in in those environments, they were the same. It was like there was no space for any doubt, for any questions, for any discourse. It was like, believe this or be outside of the hmm. nucleus of the tribe. Yeah. Dang.
0: Already this is, this is like, oh, so many things you just said. I I just want to go back to talking about Walker, Texas Ranger, because it's just bringing up so many like memories that are tied to headaches. Um, I think growing up, you know, I had, I had Christian people in my life, uh, that I viewed with such love and reverence that I dared not to question them. Um, if that makes sense, like, like, my grandmother, I, I, I still, I still barely want, like, I would, I would, I would never question my grandmother. Um, that
1: woman loves the Lord and the Cleveland Cavaliers.
0: As, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Amen. And I, I remember, I, like, I, growing up with my grandma, like, in my grandma's house, it was, it was the Bible in the morning and a notepad in the evening, keeping stats for the calves. Like, that's that, that's what it was. And I just, I wouldn't dare question anything my grandmother taught me. But that didn't change the fact that I still had a whole lot of questions, um, and but I wasn't sure how to like handle questions. You know, like I I didn't I didn't want to seem. Like, you know, I was being disrespectful or that I didn't believe or, you know, whatever. So I just, you know, like, uh, I would, I would just try to learn as much as I could from the Christian people around me and, you know, see if at some point they luckily answered my questions or I would ask my, my questions quietly to my mother. That that's, that's pretty much, that's pretty much how it was all the way up until I would say I actually, uh, began when I would like mark the beginning of my spiritual life at the age of 19. And, and then transferring shortly after that uh, to Malone University, which is where the three of our stories kind of begin to uh, begin to intersect in, in ministry. Um, James you and I were students at uh, at Malone specifically in the theology department. I remember when I got to Malone and entering in the Theo department, um, I was extremely excited to get in there because I, thought that this was going to be a place where all my questions that I've had since I was a little (laughs) kid were finally answered. I remember taking, my first Bible class I took was an Old Testament class. Um, And I remember taking it because I felt like that was the one that I, like that was the area that I knew the least about. Like I was vaguely familiar with Old Testament stories, but like wasn't really sure what the Old Testament was even really there for. And and so I remember taking it thinking like, oh my goodness, all of my questions are going to be answered. And what I quickly learned about the theology department was as incredible as my professors were. And as much as they made things really like, as they really like enlightened my mind uh, to things and opened my eyes to certain things, they really weren't actually there to answer my questions. They really were to like point me to... Uh, ways of thinking about things, but weren't really there to answer my questions. Um, And then there were other professors that wanted us to think critically. And I believe that they would intentionally say things that traditional Christianity would, would call controversial. I think they intentionally said things like that just to start to get you to like actually think outside of what you had always been taught. And what I began to experience uh, is that, you know, I, I, I would say that in many ways, I wasn't, my questions weren't answered in the way of I was taught what to think, more so how to think. But what I saw happening to my peers around me who had grown up in an environment where this is what I was taught therefore this is what I have always believed uh therefore like this is right as like professors and our studies began to break down those things um man like it was like utter chaos in their lives ensued because all of a sudden you are breaking down walls that that I have held <coughs> but if they're being honest like they have held for so long for pretty much no reason whatsoever mm-hmm. they never explored why they thought what they thought they were just told it somewhere along the lines like dog see circles and squares and now they just <laughs> believe that foolishly I, I without really like <laughs> without like ever actually digging into like why they believe that or why that is to be true and the 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 thing that we ex- I think all of us to a certain degree in that department at that time experienced and I think where you know we're with this conversation now is a process of deconstruction then ensued
2: yeah so um Corey can attest to this as my husband and james probably uh because of his proximity to us i i cannot believe something unless i know everything about it and have asked for five million questions and process something in my head for a really long time and then spewed out all of my questions and i usually um spewed out all of my questions to the two of you mm-hmm. i distinctly remember um in my living room one day being envious of all of the courses you guys were taking at malone because this was before corey and i were married and i finally looked at you guys one day and i was like you're using words i've never heard in my life <laughs> In fairness, we had
0: had only heard them earlier that day.
2: Right, but you guys got to sit in these courses (laughs) and read these books, and I, by proximity, learned so much from you, but I also didn't know a lot of stuff. And I remember you guys sitting in the living room with me and my roommate Marie, and you pulled out a whiteboard. Oh, no. And, and said, this is how you do this. Because I I was leading something at the time and I wanted to know how to better read the Bible and how to read it the way that you two were reading it because I was gleaning so much from you guys just verbally processing your courses. And in my living room, you taught me fully hermeneutics and you taught me how to properly exegete, like how to do all of these things that to this day are the most valuable tools anyone has ever taught me. And you guys made a space for me to engage in the the fancy word that is thrown around of deconstruction, of deconstructing your faith, but you also gave me the tools to reconstruct it and to figure out what I believed and why I believed it. And so um, I think I know how beneficial it was for me, for you guys to explain to me how to have a plan in deconstructing your faith. And so, um, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Like when you guys were going through this and in so many ways are still going through this as we're, as, um, as you know, we're part of this, this new network that our churches are a part of and you're leading whole churches, uh, now talk to me about, um, Talk to me about the, the importance of a plan and what it means and why it's so important to deconstruct
1: your faith. Yeah. I think I would start here. So in the same way that like multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic is a buzzword now and everyone seeks it and everyone's like, I'm the first person to do it. When in all reality, like that's just the nature of how the church was in the first century and all throughout church history, like, there have been, like, in spaces where there are healthy churches, multi-ethnic and multicultural and multiracial churches. I think there's a space where we have to say, like, okay, like, deconstruction is very much so, like, I would say, like, a cultural buzzword right now within Christian culture. I think, like, when we were in undergrad, like, it was more popular to, like, deconstruct and, like, go into some sort of high church type, like, yeah, to go to the high church. Now it's more like, I would call it more demolition than deconstruction. So, like, we do housing at the Community Development Corporation, like, in our neighborhood. And the reality is I've learned a lot about housing. As we've done that, and there's a big difference between, like, deconstruction and demolition. If you're calling in a team to demo, you're building something completely new. So you take a sledgehammer and you crush everything. It's fun, you can do it fast, but you have no regard for maintaining what is. The reality is, with Christianity, like, Christianity is not something to be demoed. Because the reality is, like, first and foremost, like no one can demo it like jesus said that the church of, that the church that he was building like would prevail against the gates of hell so no one person can like deconstruct the church of jesus christ or the faith which is the profession of that church no one can deconstruct the statement that jesus is lord and you purely can't deconstruct it because you can do you can study You can go see, you can do as many academic Olympics as you want to do. But at the end of the day, it comes to a point where you have to take, like, a jump and leap of faith. So, like, you can't ultimately, like, deconstruct, like, a leap or a jump of faith. But I think with deconstruction, I'll start here. I think, like, an important thing is it has to be done. It has to be done. It has to be done in the context of community. Like, that's all of Christianity. Like, the faith wasn't meant to be lived by yourself. It was never, like, an individual call. It was always, like, a a communal call. Like, even when God calls Abraham, he tells him, like, yo, like, I'm going to make you a nation. Like, you'll be like the stars in the sky. Like, I'm going to bless you to bless others. There's always this other-orientedness of Christianity. And I think, like, a pitfall of, like, Current deconstruction is like, hey, I've got the Internet and at my fingertips, there is all of this information and I can like do this alone. And I think what happens most times when you do that is it turns into like demolition and you get to a point where there's not like there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And then like we wonder why everyone's like, oh, well, I just don't believe anymore because there's nothing there because they did demolition instead of deconstruction
0: and we've all i mean we've all gotten down you know uh youtube twitter whatever whatever the platform we've all gotten down a rabbit hole with with anything right at one second you're you're looking up a quick googleable thing and the next thing you know it's been two hours and you're now looking at videos of people falling on skateboards and you don't even skateboard like like we we've all gotten down the rabbit hole and i think that that we run a similar risk with our faith and where we start to we start to pick apart one thing one thing leads to another another one youtube video and speaker leads to another youtube video and speaker and it just gets it just gets to a dangerous point i do like to your point want to want to mention that i think that in our time in college in undergrad um, i think I don't I don't think it's an exaggeration to say everyone we were around went through a period of deconstruction. Like, is that I mean, is that pretty fair? I would
1: say the program was designed for that.
0: Yeah, I think I think like pretty much everyone went through some period of deconstruction. I would say that not everyone came out on the other side with a constructed faith. And I would. This is for free, and then I want you to get back to your your train of thought. But like I, I would point out that this is to your point that the difference to to my uh, knowledge, the difference between those who came out with a reconstructed or constructed faith versus those who deconstructed to the point of demolition and never recovered was whether or not they were tied to the local church while they went through that process. Yeah. If I and and I'm thinking of like and we we could do this off air. Like I'm thinking of names of people that I know still have a constructed faith, but they and that's and I would draw a correlation to the fact that they were tied to a local church during our time in undergrad. Then there were those who completely withdrew from the local church in our time in undergrad, and during that period of deconstruction, never recovered. And I cannot, off the top of my head, think of an exception to that rule. So to your point, I just want to, like, if this were an iPhone text strand, I would emphasize, like, what you said about deconstruction being done with others who are who you love, who you trust, and are mature enough to go there with
1: you. Yeah. I think what that experience like at Malone taught me, that was super valuable, was that like me and my like life, deconstruction is not unique to me. Mm-hmm. It's not unique to my experience. Like, there are people all over the world who are in similar environments doing the same thing. There are people all over the world who are in not similar environments doing the same thing. There have been people all throughout Christian history who have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if it's not unique to me, that means it's not unique to God. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, I think for me, it was really important to know that, like, okay, I'm not crazy. These questions I'm asking, like, it's not just me. And that there are multiple people. I think just, like, being around Dr. Watson and, like, hearing him, like, help us all deconstruct. But then at the end of class, saying, like, yo, be prepared to preach, pray, and die. Him Mm -hmm. being, like, quoting John Wesley and, like, being as lit about the faith as he was. Mm -hmm. And still, like, in a deep relationship with Jesus after a lifetime, literally, of asking those questions, and a lifetime of still to this day, like yep. asking certain questions about certain things, and his relationship with Holland and how they disagreed about stuff, but they both still like were able to, yeah, love Jesus deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was really important for me
2: too. I don't, I don't understand at what point. Um, The church got to the place where questions are bad, where asking questions and wanting to know why is bad. Because when when I look at scripture, I see constant curiosity. From Genesis to Revelation, there's curiosity all over the place. And I never see God squash someone who says, why? no matter no matter what position they are in. I mean, you look at Hagar, and Hagar's off in the desert with Ishmael wandering, and she feels helpless and cries out in her hopelessness and then names God the God who sees me because he responded to her. And then we see Esther, who's in this, like, position that feels so impossible and mordecai is trying to tell her what to do and she's like i can't do that she literally says no to the challenge and the calling on her and then is given the boldness to go for it and god saves israel as a result And then in the New Testament, we see the woman at the well who stares Jesus, who stares God incarnate, God walking the earth in the form of Jesus in the face and says, who are you? And he answers her. He doesn't rebuke her. He says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. And then he reveals himself as the Messiah to her. And then we see Jesus resurrected standing in front of Thomas. And Thomas looks at him and says, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Show me your scars. And Jesus shows him the scars. Like every, there's so many instances of curiosity and asking why and crying out and God can handle it. If he's the God who created the universe, I'm fairly certain he can handle my questions and my curiosity, and I just, I I'm, I i am don't know when and how and where we got to the point where we felt the need as the church to squash people's questions and curiosity.
1: I mean, I hate to be this guy, but it's the empire. It's the empire. It's the empire. <laughs> like, it's going to start. I mean, after the death of Jesus, would you find the church being is literally a breath of fresh air to the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Like, wherever there was injustice, wherever there was indecency, wherever there was something undone, you've seen the church coming in in the name of Jesus, proclaiming that the kingdom of God was bursting forth, and in power, demonstration, organization, and administration, coming in and saying, hey, we don't want you to go in hell, so believe Jesus is Lord, but we don't want you to live in hell. So, for the poor, we got something for you. Come on. For, the, for those who are not educated and who want to learn to read, we're going to create a system that's going to, like, birth into, like, the modern education system. For the elderly, we're going to take care of you, i.e., like, what we know is nursing homes, all of these things. they seen emphasized. they seen babies being thrown off of stuff. And they said, yo, don't do that. We'll take the babies. Yep. We'll care for the babies. So it was this holistic approach to seeing people not go to hell, but seeing people not live in hell either. The church is the kingdom of God bursting forth on earth, heaven on earth, right? It goes on, and as the persecution got deeper, that witness got deeper. Like, the more persecution, the more they had to scatter, the deeper the witness got. They're scattered. The church is bursting forth in different places God is moving, things are rolling, 325 rolls around, and Constantine makes Christianity the national religion of Rome. Now, some are going to believe that Constantine went outside and seen the cross in the sky and all that stuff. Whether he had a legitimate conversion or not, the reality is he made when he made Christianity the national religion of the Roman Empire— yep. The Roman Empire used Christianity as a vehicle and a means to control the masses, and there burst the empire. Mm -hmm. So when Christianity is the empire and it's attached to a system that is seeking to control people, when you question, you mess up the means of control. You mess up the power. Christianity, early Christianity had authority. Like, when you have authority from the Holy Spirit, you move a certain way. Mm-hmm. You, you do certain things. You say certain things from God, and no one can take that away. Power, you can fight a war and get power. And that's what Christianity turned into, You're fighting wars with culture. You got schisms fighting literal wars with people, right? You have all these things happening in a pursuit for power because it was used to control people. So I think even in today's world, like Christianity in the Western world, no matter what we say, is the empire. It is the empire. So it's used as a means of control. I mean, this is a rabbit hole we may not need to go down, but I mean, like, it's personified in, like, the last two elections. (laughs) Like, this sort of Christianity being used as a means, like, it's Constantinianism, like, on full display. So I think the question for us is, like, if we can't do all those biblical things that you just talked about, why can't we question? Mm. Why is it looked down upon if we question? Why is there a whole generation of millennials and Generation Z who are are saying we can't be a part of a faith that we can't ask questions about? Why is apologetics such a big thing? Why are we trying to, like— demystify the faith in Jesus Christ to a point where we have a literal, physical, empirical answer. Mm -hmm. When in the first century, it was, yeah, we got an answer for you. Kill us. (laughs) Kill us. Yeah. (laughs) Like, here's our answer. Jesus is Lord, and we don't care. Kill us. like.
2: (laughs) So so as we're wrapping this up, as we're wrapping this up, um, I want to encourage... I want to encourage people to find someone who can take care of your questions. Cause I can tell you right now, like Corey and James were people who were instrumental in my life who took really good care of my questions. And my mom took really good care of my questions. I happen to be surrounded by people um, who took care of my questions. Um, What, what, hope, what encouragement, what, um, what do you want to offer people who maybe aren't surrounded by people like you guys or people like that?
0: I think I would want to encourage everyone, um, to deconstruct to a certain extent. I think that it is vital that we, uh, know exactly why we believe what we believe, right? Right. Um, let me give you maybe a, a little bit of a, a touchy example. Um, in my in my background, in my upbringing, I was taught somewhere along the way that um, that Christians ought to take a pro life and anti abortion stance. Um, But now in 2021, what I'm realizing or what I'm watching happen, and I've watched happen over the last several years, uh, especially over the last two elections, I would say, as James mentioned a second ago, I'm watching millennials, I'm watching people my age lose their faith when they realize in our polarizing society, the theological inconsistencies of crying for justice for the unborn life lost. But being on the opposite side of the aisle from the cries for the black lives lost or the immigrant lives being put in cages, but also vice versa, too. Right. Like that goes the other way, too. And so it's important that we that we get into the 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 whys, uh like why we believe what we believe, because what you will, might even find is that you ultimately end up at the exact same conclusion. You might end up in the exact, believing the exact same thing, but it is vital that you know why you are there, why you believe exactly what it is that you believe.
2: So bless up family, people who are listening right now. I, we have thrown so many things at you. We went from Walker, Texas Ranger to a depth um, that there was, I feel is needed and So I just want you, as we are wrapping this up today, to understand and know that your questions should be asked. You should not sit on your hands and do nothing for fear of being scolded for asking questions. Ask the hard questions. You may land back on the same stance that you started with. Uh Uh-huh. But now you understand more deeply and more richly why you believe what you believe, and that will never be a bad thing. And also know that as you ask that questions, it's okay if what you thought in the end is not what you thought in the beginning, because growth is a process and reconstruction is a process that has to happen after deconstruction. All right. So remember what I said in the very beginning. This is part one. I know we hit some hot button issues. I know that we left some things unanswered, but come right back here in two weeks and we're going to pick up right where we left off. All right. Stay with us. Bless up.